Uh, we've been going through a series together, and the series has been called? Okay. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> uh, the series has been called Inspired Witness, and as we're going through the book of? Psalms. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> I am doing a really bad job at uh, really making my sermons memorable, so that's on me. Yeah, we've been going through the book of Acts, all right, the book of Acts. So we've been going through the book of Acts, and the last time when we, uh, uh, when we uh, gathered last week and the message that we're going over, the last thing that we saw of the disciples was these new priorities were taking place in their life as they began to commit themselves into prayer and this fellowship in prayer, making sure that they would come together and to keep on immersing themselves in prayer and longing for God's word in their life. And so we've, we begin to see it, it, it didn't begin with just a, a desire saying, saying, I hope that happens, or you know, if I show up every now and then, maybe something will happen. No, they were committed to meeting daily and making sure that their hearts and their minds were being immersed over and over and over again in God's truth and connecting with him in this prayer posture that they had. They wanted to make sure, we want to make sure that the majority of our space and our time is being influenced by the Spirit of God, by the teaching of God, by the presence of God, rather than anything else. And for each and every one of us, we know how important these influences are, that whatever we begin to immerse ourselves in whatever type of community, whatever type of interest group, whatever type of new kind of pursuit that we might have, you'll notice that our interests, our mindset, everything becomes focused on that thing. We become like the thing that we immerse ourselves in. You know, I saw this early on. I saw just the power of this early on, even with a brief exposure to being immersed in something else. When I was in seminary, so this is like many, many years ago, but when I was in seminary, there was a new movie that came out. It was called Eight Mile. I know I'm dating myself. Some of you younger folk was at Eight Mile. What's that? Right? So Eight Mile was this rapper called, named Eminem. Some of you guys know Eminem? Maybe? Yeah? So there's a rapper named Eminem. He's a, um, he's a white rapper. And in this movie, Eight Mile, his name was Rabbit. And he lived in like a trailer park. He wanted desperately, he worked at a kind of like a, a fa car factory, desperately wanting to get out of this eight mile kind of stretch of road where all these factory workers kind of lived and wanting a better life. And for him, he was gifted with rap and with um, um, music uh, uh, writing lyrics. And so for him, as he was gifted in that, he was like pursuing that. And the whole movie is about him like showing off his talent or going up against, you know, the, the better talents that are in his city by doing a battle, like a rap battle. So you guys know what that looks like. You know, you go up against this person, the DJ gives this beat, right? And then they start going, out, uh, going off on each other one by one, dressing down the opponent with good lyrics and, um, and how it flows. And then the crowd, they decide who wins that battle, right? And so... After watching this movie, me and my two seminary friends, 
Uh, we watched it. We came out, and we're so excited. We're, like, so hyped up by just that rap battle that we saw that in the car, the whole ride home, we are like, battling each other, right? So we're like, give me that beat. So the third person that was there, he's like, boom, 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 right? And then the other two were, like, going at it. And then the guy who was giving the beat would decide, yeah, you win, right? And so this was, like, for me, this car ride was so exciting. I was, like, getting so, like, pumped, animated, saying, yeah, this is, this is what's entertaining. This is what life's about. I was so into that. And so after a while, so we kept going, 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 going. We're like so amazed by just our lyrical genius of dressing down fellow seminary students, right? And so as we started to do that, at the end of it, right, uh, you know, think dying down. We're kind of all laughing from that. Um, one of the driver of the car said, here, let me turn on some music, and he did. And so he just pressed power on his um, um, audio box, and as soon as the music came on, it was kind of like, you know, what we just heard. When the sun comes up, <laughs> satisfied. Like, we're just going, bah, 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 and we're like doing, doing that, and then suddenly, when the sun comes up, satisfied. And all together, all three of us, we just all looked at each other, and we're like, what's that? Like, we were like so upset by worship music. We just felt like it was so lame compared to what we were just experiencing, this joy, this excitement. This is where it's at. This is how you do it. This is what pumps people up. And then suddenly this kind of very lyrical, melodic, da 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 kind of thing. And we're like going, no. And then we all said, turn that off. Right? We don't want to listen to that. And so we turned it off, and then we started going back. Okay, let's go back to our own thing again. And then we started doing the same thing. And after that night, when I got back home, I'm still like on this adrenaline. I'm still on this like, wow, that was so awesome. And I, for, you know, it's been a while since I had that much kind of fun with a couple of my friends that I was thinking about that so much. And I remember as I'm lying down, I'm still thinking about lyrics, right? What rhymes with Brian, right? That I can make him look bad, right? So like my mind is going on, on all of this. And I remember as soon as I began to kind of like lose consciousness, fall asleep, this really quiet voice suddenly propped up and said, what are you doing? Right? The challenge came into my heart is, why did suddenly this thing become the thing for you? Right? And at the end of the day, when I began to think about it more and more, I began to add, what real value is it giving you? Aside from entertainment, yes, it's entertaining, and yes, it's fun, and yes, you know, it's, it, it hypes us up and gives us so much energy. But the thing is, if I'm all immersed in that, and then my whole mindset becomes all wrapped up in that to the point where even when my mind is at rest, I'm using that rest space to think about how to dress down other people so that my rap sound better and I can have this entertaining time with other people. I began, to, this quiet voice began to sing, but what value, real value, does it add and into your everyday life? You know, I began to think about this a lot because I realized just how easy it is for me even as a seminary student and even as someone who's in the Word of God daily, right, how easy it was for me that a one-time, very brief exposure into a certain atmosphere, a certain kind of um, ethos, how that formed my lens of life, how that formed 
my values, how that formed what I wanted to do to the point where everything about church, everything about worship, everything about everything, you know, whatever I was engaged with, it felt so lame. It felt like it doesn't do the same thing for me. I began to think about my own life where I said, if I continually immerse myself in these kind of things and, and find that there's no harm, because there, it isn't harmful in, in that kind of sense of what, when you're exposed to it every now and then, but if I keep immersing myself in these kind of things, I realize how quickly that can actually become the treasure of my heart. That quickly can become the desires of my thinking. How my whole life, it kind of wraps around entertainment or, or having these kind of fun nights or, or doing these kind of fun th- battles with my friends where even my unconscious moments, it's all wrapped up with how do I do this more? You know, sometimes when I think about my own Christian journey, I, I question, you know, is this the reason why there are times in my life I feel separated from God, or I feel like, you know, this whole church routine that I've been doing over and over again, it kind of feels like I've been going through the status quo, nothing really is coming out of it, and then I try to do the bare minimum to try to get by, and then by doing the bare minimum, because I'm not getting anything out of it, it kind of reinforces in my head. See, that's why I'm not so engaged at church. That's why I'm not so engaged with prayer. This is why I don't really dig deeper into God's Word, because my minimum engagement or my lack of immersion in God and what he wants me to be exposed to and how he wants to fill my life, it's so minimal that because there's nothing that I get out of it, it continually reinforces my head, this is why I spend less and less time with him. This is why I don't value spending more time in in a small group gathering together in prayer because I haven't tasted and seen the real goodness and the power that would come out of that if I would just wait and continually immerse myself in that thing. You know, it made me begin to think about the Pharisees as well. No no wonder all of these people who were supposedly followers of Yahweh were so disinterested in the temple They were so disinterested in the Pharisees. They were so disinterested in the laws because they were doing it. And and they were kind of like, they recognized that it needs to be part of their life, but they weren't immersed in it. They were immersed in their work and whatever work that they were doing or craft or trade that they were part of, how to better that trade, how to pass it down to their children. That's what their mind was all about. Other people, it was all about how do I make more money? And their whole mindset was, how do I gain money while we're occupied by the Roman government? How do I uh, adjust in this kind of of environment? Their mind was all about that because that's really what the people were all talking about. What kind of trade are you part of? How are you making more money in in terms of the Roman occupation? And then whenever they went to church, church just felt, or the temple, it just felt so different than everything else that they were going through, that they realized in their hearts that this really has nothing to do with our everyday life. And then when the Pharisees tell us, hey, do your tithing, hey, do your fasting, hey, do these laws, make sure that you're doing good in this kind of area, for them it felt so disconnected. There was no value that came out of that for them. 
Yet when they saw something happening with his disciples, that suddenly a group of ordinary men and women begin to change. And this change is bringing about healing in certain people. It's bringing about this feeling of fulfillment, and you can sense this energy that was growing and growing and growing. And people looked at that and said, what's going on? What is this? Because these group of small disciples began to immerse themselves in prayer, in the word, and waiting upon the Holy Spirit, expecting that when they do this, the Holy Spirit will come and it will satisfy them at a deeper level. They began to see this, and the crowds started coming out, and they started saying, we don't want this religious stuff that the Pharisees and, and these teachers of the law are kind of trying to cram down our necks because it doesn't do anything for us. But what they are going through, why are they celebrating? Why do they seem so content when they're being persecuted, when their leader was taken away? When they have nothing to be joyful for. Why do we see their lives becoming a change agent in our culture? See, brothers and sisters, this is the same question we need to ask us today. If we feel that the faith that we have is like pharisaical, and it just feels like we go through the same motions and we're expected to do these things, but there's no value added to our lives, then that is not a faith worth following. But is it possible that the reason why it's so dry, the reason why it feels so disconnected, is it possible is because we have not immersed ourselves in, into prayer, into a fellowship community around prayer about God's word and his teaching? Is it possible we have diminished that and we have passed that off so much to the point where we just can't taste and see the goodness of God? So this is what leads us towards our passage today. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. I'll be reading from the NIV. You can follow along on screen. One day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at 3 in the afternoon. Now, a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for money. Peter looked straight at him, as did John. Then Peter said, look at us. So the man gave them his attention, expecting to get something from them. Then Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Taking him by the right hand, he helped him up, and instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. When all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Let me just pray real quick. So, Father, as we go into your word again together, satisfy us. As we go, Father, Lord, and into wanting to immerse ourselves in your word, in your spirit, and in 
communion with you through prayer, through longing, through fellowship. May you satisfy us. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm just going to close this door. What we see in this immersing, the very first thing that we see happening with them is these changed priorities or a changed view lens on life. That's what immersing does. In the same way that when I was trying to do my rap battle with my friends, suddenly my lens of life instantly became changed so that when I was hearing gospel worship music, through that lens, it just felt like something I did not want to be part of my life at that point. In that same way, when we immerse ourselves or what we choose to immerse ourselves in, it begins to change the priorities that we have in our life. You know, once again, before it led to this encounter of Peter and John healing this lame man who was born lame from birth. He was crippled from birth. Notice what Luke makes sure that he adds in detail. He doesn't just say that they were coming out of the temple. He needs to make sure that we understand what were they doing in the temple. And he says, it was the time of prayer. This was, you, this was actually the third time of prayer. There's three times of prayer for the Jewish culture. One was at 9 a.m., second was at 12 noon, and the third one was at 3 p.m., which explains why this beggar is placed there at those times of prayer. Because the thinking was for all those who are begging for money or for food or for whatever resource, they think that people will be more generous to give as they're coming out from a time of prayer. Here in this passage, we see, James, we see Peter and John, after immersing themselves again through prayer, they're walking out, so that means their priorities have changed by being in God's presence. It changes their hearts, it changes their minds, it changes the way they view things and their circumstances that are around them. You see, for the beggar, the beggar's mindset, because he's immersed himself in a daily routine of I cannot survive and I cannot expect anything more than simply money and people's pity. That's what his whole life is immersed in. I just try to get people's pity and hopefully through that they give me money or they give me food so I can survive another day. That was his immersion. That's what he was part of. That's why when people come out, he's not expecting anything else in his life. He's only expecting, have pity on me, give me money. And this is why he just keeps his head down. He understands the routine. He knows that people don't want to look at him face to face because of shame or without whatever embarrassment. And he's just hoping that someone will give him until Peter and John come up to him with a very different lens of life and gives him first dignity. He says, look at us. Me and you. We're the same. You don't have to bow your eyes down to the ground just because I may have money at this time and you don't. It doesn't make you less human than me. You see, this priority, it changes. And this change priority, it changes the interaction and the and the and the atmosphere of what's happening in the dynamic between Peter, John, and this beggar. It is not just, whatever, you're a waste of my time, here's some money, let me move on. 
because we see this happening earlier. Remember when they were walking together in the crowd, there was this self-importance that the disciples had that they were walking with Jesus, were really important compared to everyone else. And when these crowds of people were walking, remember blind Bartimaeus crying out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy upon me, a sinner. The disciples, they just wanted to keep on walking, right? They're saying, of course he wants our attention, right? But we're too self-important to stop for just any person, right? We're going to this leader's house, or we need to go to this temple gathering. We are too important to, sm- to stop for little things. Yet Jesus stops to give sight to Bartimaeus. Disciples still didn't understand that. And then in another time, they're walking as a crowd. And as a crowd, this woman who was subjected to bleeding for 12 years is crawling through the crowd, desperately wanting Jesus' attention. But she can't get it. And then finally touches the edge of his cloak. He keeps walking. And then he stops. And he says, someone touched me. I felt power come out from me. What was his disciples' reaction? The disciples should have said, let us help you find this person. Because this person matters to you. That wasn't their reaction. There's too many people. Who cares? Right? Let's just keep going. We're too important. But what we see happen instead is Jesus stops everything, looks for the person, finds her, and blesses her. You see, that is Jesus, and our exposure to him, it begins to change our lens of life. It changes our priorities. John and Peter were praying in that exposure to God as they're coming out. There's beggars that are all over the place near that gate, beautiful. And as they're walking out or walking past it, rather than just walk past them with that same mindset, we're too busy. There's too much political chaos that is happening at this time. There's too much riots and violence that can happen if we stay near the temple. We better get going. Instead of this, their priority changes. It's not about them. They're saying this person is asking us, looks at this person, asks him to lift up their eyes and saying, me and you, brother, we're the same. And so this guy looks up hoping that he's going to get something and look at Peter's response. Peter says to him, silver and gold I have none, but what I have I'll give to you. The lame man's perspective was I need money to survive, and money is the most important priority of my life. That's what his worldview was. For Peter and, the disciples, and Peter and John, their worldview used to be about the prioritization of how much money they had and how much of that money could be spent in order for them to survive yet still do their work as disciples. We remember the scene. Remember a bunch of people gathered, 5,000, right? And Jesus asked the disciples, where are we going to buy enough bread to feed at least 5,000 men, and then on top of that, the women and children that had gathered. Remember the disciples' response to that? It's Andrew that responded by just saying, there's too many. We can't afford it. Not only can we not afford it, but not even six months' worth of wages can actually feed these people. And they're just saying, we don't have that much in our bank. We don't have that much to be able to spend. We can't be that generous. So just tell them to go away, and it's fine. 
You see, for the disciples at that moment, as Jesus said, he said this to test them, but for the disciples at that moment, their mindset, their priority, what ranks in the priority of their mind is money has more power than Jesus. When Jesus asked, where are we going to buy enough, rather than just saying, let's see how much we have, and if it takes everything that we can scrape from our bank account so that we can feed these people, we'll do it because we trust our provision. It comes from you. We don't need to worry about, you know, am I going to have enough if I try to follow Jesus in my life? No. Their priority becomes Jesus is first. You're the Lord. And if you're asking, you have a plan. If you're asking, you know what you're going to do. And so, Jesus, we trust in you and we'll do it. Yet it's not. Because they just felt like we won't have enough money. Jesus, what's it going to be like if we try to follow you and we have nothing in the bank? That's not going to be so good. And Jesus saying, but I'm God. See, brothers and sisters, this is so hard for us to come as, as we listen to this. And if we're not immersed in God's word, we're not immersed in God's spirit, our automatic reaction is, oh, what about this? What about this? This doesn't make sense, or we need to take care of. Like, these things come into our mind because we don't trust, and we have a hard time trusting. Is Jesus really God? Can I really trust him with my life? You know, their priority it still ranked the power of money above the power of God. Brothers and sisters, I want to ask us, how about us? How many of us are like these old-style disciples where we follow God and we claim that Jesus is Lord, but we don't realize that the true Lord of our life is not Jesus? It's these other priorities because we're more immersed in our finances. We're more immersed in our vocation. We're more immersed in our social life. We're more immersed in terms of how I find my leisure. Is it possible that for each one of us, we say we follow, yet we don't receive because we never ask with the mindset of Jesus is Lord? Do we really believe that Jesus is the answer to set our priorities straight so that we can live differently than with control over every part of our life and determining through our own good rationalization that it's not the right time to give? It's not possible for me to give. And it doesn't make sense for me to give. See, I believe it was because Peter was so immersed in God's word, and I believe that he was really honest with there was absolutely no money in his pocket. In fact, he was more destitute in terms of finances and what he was going to eat that day than that beggar. He really had nothing to give. He had no money in his pocket, yet he's immersing himself in prayer, and as he does, his focus is not so much to the beggar. Can you, can you relax? I've just been hunted and I, we've been hiding, and all these other people are, are against us, and you can't ask me for money right now. We're stressed in ourselves. He doesn't do that. His mind is not on himself. His mind is on this preciousness of this man. 
And he says, you know what? I don't have anything, but I have something better that I can give you. And he says, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, get up and walk. Grabs him his hand, lifts him up, and he sees him begin to walk. Brothers and sisters, before we make the rationalization, because we have this tendency sometimes that, yes, when finances are difficult, and yes, when things aren't going well, we often have this very quick way of rationalizing, well, I don't have anything, so I don't have to give. God understands my situation, so I don't have to give. Or God understands that I'm going through this hardship, so I don't, I don't have to be generous. God understands that. Yes, he does. But he still, acts, he still expects us to live by faith. So in other words, rather than just saying, well, I don't have it, so I have nothing to give, then show faith. Show faith. That's a challenge that we see in Peter where he says, I don't have this, but I'm going to live by faith. I may not have money to give you or food, but I'm going to just kneel with you right now, and we're going to pray that Jesus heals you because I believe Jesus can. Brothers and sisters, if we're going through financial difficulties, trust, saying, Lord, give me faith to believe you can move mountains in my life. Let's use that opportunity to live by faith, to live by trust in Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I believe you can help me at this time so I can be powerful in my witness. I can be powerful in my living. And I don't have to feel that I have nothing to give because I may not have money. In fact, the amazing thing of what Peter does is because he doesn't dismiss that and he lives by faith and he goes, by faith I'm going to do something for you. And then he raises him up and begins to walk. What that does, that one act of someone who had nothing, no money, that one act of faith, of trust in God, it began to catalyze this chain reaction that we see happen in the next chapter of all these amazed people who happen to have money begin to become more generous and saying, I don't have exactly what Peter has to be able to raise someone like that, but it unleashed a generosity in them. Look at what happens in chapter 4, verse 33b to 37. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land, so those who were financially capable, or houses, they sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field that he owned, brought the money, put it at the apostles' feet. Do you see what that one act of what Peter does? That story is continued on where all these Pharisees are now debating, was this real, was this good, is it from God, is it not God? And the apostles, uh, uh, Peter and John, they're being, um, they're being punished, they're being put aside, they're being imprisoned, and, and they continue to pray, but that one act of faith, it unleashes for that community at that time, for those who had this generosity saying, we may not be able to do that, but we can have this experience of generosity together so that there's other people in our community that may not have, but we'll be generous because we do have. Selling a house is not easy. 
Selling property that you have for future investment is not easy for the sake of someone who does not have to bless them. You see, we should never look at our own situation as hard as it may be of what we're going through and to feel like I have nothing to give. We have to believe, Jesus, do your work because you may be the person that God wants to catalyze at this space in your life to trust him. That you catalyze a generosity that comes out, a faithfulness that comes out in the people who are around you. Brothers and sisters, it's easy to discount ourselves and our ability to contribute meaningfully to a community, especially in a world where money really matters when we're going through financial hardships. But Peter shows us that we don't need money to be faithful. We don't need money to catalyze generosity. We act by faith and trust. Now, here's, a, here's the point that I want to end with. Absolute faith in the person of Jesus. When we spend time with him, our priorities change, and then the way that it changes towards is this absolute faith in the person of Jesus. See, I had to do a double take on verse 12 when Peter reacts in astonishment to the crowds, when they see what's happening, and the crowds are astonished, right? And look what Peter says to them in verse 12. When Peter saw this, he said to them, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? What I just did, why does it surprise you so much? If you believe that God is God, if you believe that Jesus is Lord, then me doing this in the name of Jesus, in absolute faith, that Jesus can do this. Why does this surprise you that the God of the sovereign God of the universe can make this happen? I'm the one that, as I'm reading this passage, I'm the one with my jaw dropped as well. I'm looking at this, and this verse really stuck out to me because it does surprise me. And so I felt like Peter saying directly to me, Eddie, why does this surprise you? And the only answer that I can give is, it surprises me because my faith is not there yet. Do I really believe God can do this? The challenge that Peter gives me is, if Jesus is rightfully Lord, don't you want to spend more time in prayer knowing that he has access to all things. And he can answer all things, provide all things. Don't you want to go to him who is your greatest source and expect that God can? I think my faith is too weak because I immerse myself in the opinions of the friends who are around me who don't believe that Jesus is Lord. I believe my faith is weak because I immerse myself in reading other types of literature that don't believe that Jesus is Lord and erects itself and erects instead self-help and you can do it or your, your highest potential. 
The reason why I feel like I have weak faith is because I don't surround myself with, with community members around me and I'm, I have the courage to say, let's pray and let's believe that God will provide. Peter had absolute trust and faith that healing was possible through the, through the lead of Jesus Christ when Jesus leads us to do it and through the name of Jesus Christ. Look at what he says in verse 16. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him as you now can see. Peter emphasizing over and over and over, it's faith, it's faith, it's faith. In other words, immerse, immerse, immerse so that you understand where this faith comes from. This faith doesn't just suddenly appear. It needs to be an immersed faith. See, Peter believed that this was the promise and the expectation of all followers of Jesus Christ, no matter where you are at in your journey with Jesus. He's saying, this is the expectation. Every one of us, and this is why he says, even to these Israelites, they were not following Jesus. He says, this shouldn't surprise you. Even for you who feels like you're far away, even you, it's possible because it's not by my work, he says to them. It's not by me or John's doing. It was through Jesus. So any health, financial, relational, societal issue that we are facing, brothers and sisters, we are called to face it through faith in Jesus, immerse ourselves in Jesus as we lay down societal, relational, financial, and, and health burdens to God. And let's believe together that God cares about it and he can actually do something about it. The more and more our hearts are convicted about the absolute power of Jesus from our time as we immerse with him, the more and more we find ourselves repenting of all of these other priorities that, that are before us. That's why we keep saying the prayer of blind Bartimaeus as Jesus passes by. Jesus, son of David, and he says, has mercy upon me, a sinner. In the exposure and the immersing of God's presence, we just can't help but see our misaligned priorities, saying, forgive me, Lord, of putting money first. Forgive me, Lord, of putting my own health and my own power first. Forgive me, Lord, for putting my own vocation first. Forgive me, Lord, for putting my own family situation first. We keep going into repentance. And as we do, look at the promise that he gives in verse 19. Repent then and turn to God so that what? So that we can feel pressed down more and you can feel guilty more and your faith is, is of guilt-based faith? No, he says this. Keep on repenting because God wants to unleash what? He says, so that your sins may be wiped out or the consequence of that sin does not have its grip on you anymore, but that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Brothers and isn't this what we want? Isn't this what our empty hearts, our kind of hearts or our lives that feel disconnected or feel like they're not satisfied by something, 
Peter is promising. He's saying, repent and keep on exposing yourself, immersing yourselves in God. And as you do, he says, times of refreshing finally come to our spirit. So that even when for Peter and John, when they're in prison, it's times of refreshing that come that they just can't help but rejoice even in prison. Even when they're released and they go to their brothers and sisters, they do not act by fear and saying, we better be quiet and stop preaching because they told us not to. But he continues to do it because times of refreshing is coming because Jesus Christ is Lord and he, they believe how that changes their life. Brothers and sisters, for each one of us, as we repent, as we live our life in that repentance as we're exposed to God more and more and more and more and we keep repenting, Lord, let this not be my priority. May our sins be wiped out. May God just bring this flow of refreshing and into our lives.